All right, so that's a little mainstream for you, Manny. That sounded like the Beatles. What's uh, what's going on? What are you trying to convey right now? Well, you are correct, Adam. That is the Beatles. That is obviously all you need is love. And I wanted to pick something that welcomes our guests. Um, we have a special guest today we're really excited about, but also ties into part of the topic. As many of you know, Adam will often say we're wine, we're old world wine snobs. I take some issue with that. I like wines from the new world. I don't quite understand them because I'm not used to drinking them. Um, but maybe we just need someone from France, uh, from a classic family in France, producing classical wines in France or historic wines in France, like Beatles, to introduce us to, or at least help us appreciate and love new world wines in a better way. But that person would also then, coming from France, then have to have maybe established him or herself in, you know, I don't know, Napa Valley as a vigneron of some renown who who loves California wines as much as he or she loves Burgundy wines. Where are we going to find someone like that, Manny? Well, I happen to know somebody that's actually with us here today. Um, I would like to introduce everybody to... Uh, Jean-Charles Boisset from um, the Boisset uh, Collection, historic producer in Burgundy, one of the greatest producers in Burgundy, producing some exceptional wines in California. Jean-Charles, welcome to Bottom of the Bottle. Well, bonjour, and thank you, Adam and Manny. I'm not only honored, but elated to be with two charismatic, charming, knowledgeable, educated, and high quality lovers of wine. So uh, what a great way to start the year. Thank you for having me. Well, thank so you. And uh, that's very brave of you to say so early because you just met us. Yeah. So we might think you mind in 10 minutes. <laughs> say, but you, you don't know, want us to edit that out at the end. <laughs> I've heard of you and I've listened to you now because I don't get into situations that I don't carefully study. So I knew it would be fun. And I'm very excited. Awesome. Thank you. Adam, Thank you, wanna... you so much. Yeah. So, so um, kind of actually, were you going to say something, Adam? Or... No, go ahead. Okay. So one thing about us, John Charles, uh, we don't rehearse. Um, we've known each other long enough that we banter back and forth. And when we try to rehearse things, it usually falls apart. So we realize that improv is the best way for us to go. Um, so you are from... France, you are from specifically, um, I believe, Clos-Vougeau or, or the village of Vougeau, correct? Yes, correct. Absolutely. Born and raised. So what brought a gentleman farmer from Clos-Vougeau to Napa Valley, first and foremost? Well, well uh, the context of history is very important. There's a deep love and appreciation of all of us from Burgundy to America for all the history that we've lived, uh, whether it's Champagne, Alsace or Burgundy was always freed by the Americans throughout time. So we raised with the love of America at first. Number two, when you make wine, you're always very curious about quality around the world. When you encounter California wine, you know there's an amazing potential of high quality, great terroir, wonderful sense of place for wonderful wine. So that was my interest number two, three, my love of America, four, my love of the people of America. 
and five, the potential of what can be achieved in the phenomenal land of Napa and Sonoma and to be able to build the future together because you said it, I come from Vujou. Vujou was really established in 950, 1100 years ago. Today, it's at the top end of the world of wine. Many of my ancestors have done it. They've already achieved it. They build it, they created it. They define the guidelines of the region. We enhancing it, but we're going petit à petit with that. In California, we can make a big difference and we can really contribute to making phenomenal wines and bring a new vision to America today. So that's why I'm so excited about it. Manny and Adam, that was a quick answer. That was, oh, yeah, that's, that's I, I can tell you thought about that before. <laughs> <laughs> so was there then though, uh, uh, for you, a singular experience where you were out someplace or someone handed you a glass of California wine where you went, well, oh wait, what is this? This is new, this is different, I'm into this, I need to find more of this. Or did you, was there not that moment? I mean, Manny and I have talked about, we each had our kind of singular moment with wine. Uh, you know, Manny's begrudgingly was with White Zinfandel because he's very classy. Uh, and my <laughs> mind begrudgingly was with a completely over-extracted uh, red blend that was masquerading as Pinot Noir. So <laughs> did you have a similar type experience where you were like, this, this is the one that got me interested in, in California or the new world in general? Absolutely. An epiphany moment is key in anything we do. You know, I, I was lucky, Adam, to make wine since birth. The living room of my family house, where they still live today, my parents, was the winery with a few barrels. So I've been tasting wine, making wine literally since birth. So luckily I came to the US at 10 and a half, uh, just on a touristic trip with my grandparents to visit the mission of California from Monterey to, to Sonoma. And we toured one winery on that trip the first winery ever built in the history of California in 1857, Buena Vista Winery. We went in, saw the place. I was so enchanted, enlightened, and elated to see a beautiful historical place in California. My grandmother bought some wine. We went back to the hotel that evening, tasted the wines because I was too young to taste them, obviously, in the public tasting room. And my sister and I looked at each other and said, wow. This is making us think like Chassagne, Meursault, and puligny Montrachet. And we had that vision of that maybe more richness because maybe more grapefruit, maybe more pineapple, more shoulder on the wine, maybe a little more of a, of a oak influence, but it was still very, very, very exciting. So that moment was the game-changing moment in my life where I said, one, I love America. Two, the people are phenomenal. Three, this is where I want to be. Four, I want to be Franco-American. And, and, and then I want to make wine here one day. So, Adam, not only I was obsessed by this as I came back to Burgundy, I, I made wine every vintages from 10 years old on. And our dream with my sister was eventually to come to California and make wine. So luckily, 10 years ago, and my grandparents who took us saw it or heard about it because we were lucky to be able to finally buy Buena Vista Winery, which was the winery that changed our vision to the world of wine and specifically California. So that was my moment. 
That's awesome. That's a lot more romantic than the one Manny and I had. So. <laughs> well, White's Infidel is good. We need to start somewhere. That's awesome. I mean, that's amazing that your first experience with California wine is yeah. a property that you now are the proprietor of. I mean, that that's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and you know, awesome. In a lot of what we do as people and as individuals, the first memory is often the most lasting one. And, you know, I touched that stone building, those first caves, the bonded winery number one and two of California. I carefully listened to the story that the lady who gave us the tour was saying. She was speaking perfect French. And my grandparents were school teachers. So it really helped us really dive into the history and vibrate for it. And... You know, I think when you you feel quality, you touch quality, you sense quality, and you sense potential in life, and you discipline, and you set ourselves goals, which I think is important, whether it's seller goals, wine goals, winemaking goals, wine collector's goals, which we all do, um, then you could succeed to really fulfill your own objectives and your own dreams. And for me, it was always an obsession. I tried to buy the winery several times. I failed several times, but we finally succeeded in 2011. And it has been really one of our biggest success ever in the history of California to reposition Buena Vista on the top end, to make beautiful Napa wines, Sonoma wines, and to do what we're doing. So it's, it's, it's really a dream. Manny's actually drinking, I believe, the the Chateau Buena Vista Chardonnay right now. We're always drinking Jean Charles. So, and and the only reason he's drink, I'm not drinking it, is because he's drinking it, and we have to drink something different. I love that wine too. But I, I want a quick touch on Buena Vista because several of your properties and where you are is Napa. Was that experience at Buena Vista, is that why Napa kind of became the, the hub in, in California for you, as opposed to, you know, Santa Barbara or Paso Robles or, you know, Lake County or, or whatever it is? It was, is it all kind of, is, is it all linked together in that way, that moment made Napa the, the destination? Well, well said, Adam, very well said. In fact, yes, because... Where Buena Vista sits, uh, Buena Vista started equally Sonoma and Napa. Charles Krug worked at Buena Vista for four years before he started his own winery in 1861. So when you go to Buena Vista and when we walk the site and we go on the hill, you actually go into Napa as well. So it's half in Sonoma, half in Napa, which makes it so unique. I think the, the idea of being at the beginning of where it started is important to us. So we went to the Russian River with Deloach. We went where the first Pinot were planted in 1812 by the Russians and the Hungarians. We went to obviously Santa Lina and Rutherford were really, it all started in Napa Valley as well, as you know. So we happen to be very interested into where things start to really bring forward history and heritage to really explain where history makes sense. And Adam, America is an amazing place with an incredible history. And everybody says, oh, it's a quick one. It's a short history. But look at how, what has been achieved in 160 years in American history. It's unfathomable. 
to imagine this group of immigrants building the most exciting nation on the planet. So when I think of Santa Barbara, I like it as well. I love Paso. I love all this, but the super premium, I'm like you, I'm focused into top end. I enjoy having a $20 bottle of wine as well, but I want it to be from the top end all the way in the pyramid of wine. And I really think when you travel in the Russian River, in Sonoma Coast, in the Dry Creek Valley, in Alexander Valley, in Knights Valley then, and then in obviously Calistoga, San Lina, Oakville, and Rutherford or Stag's Leap where I live, this is so good. So we gotta be there. And you know, in life, you gotta have a chronology of time and you cannot do everything at once. So you need to choose where you start. For me, you know, I fell in love in California when I was 11. Um, I didn't have much fund and resources when I started. I started a small, tiny office south of Market Street. And I was a pure negociant because we didn't have money to buy vineyards or, or what we have today. So I had to go step by step. And I wanted to establish our family vision in the top end of Napa, Sonoma. Needless to say, today we have a lot of, um, you know, long-term contracts or vineyards in other areas, but we feel Napa Sonoma is a great way for us to tell the top-end story of America and bring it to the world. Because, you know, Adam, as a company, we sell wine in 92 countries today. And I speak equally of Napa Valley in Nigeria, in Japan, in China, or in France, as I do about Burgundy. Because we are, all of us, committed to build this amazing Napa-Sonoma region. And it's easier to build Napa-Sonoma at this stage than it is Lodi or other areas of, of California at this stage, at least. I think that's, that's really interesting in, in how you had said how much, in terms of quality and recognition, Napa has achieved in such a short time, which, I mean, it, yeah. it definitely has. But it makes me think of, you know, and, and uh, you know, a little patriotism here, I guess, uh, ingenuity within the country. You think about the Wright brothers who had their first little flying machine and yep. within six, what, 80 years or not even 70 years, we were on the moon, which is, you know, Napa is kind of, I guess, the same way if you think about it. Yep. You know, these small little farmers coming in, uh, immigrant farmers coming in, uh, planting the soils and tilling the soils and starting to produce fruit going through prohibition, um, Adam and I were talking about this earlier, really not having a, a drinking culture in the United States really until the 70s. Um, yeah. But then helping to fulfill Thomas Jefferson's dream of the United States being a wine-consuming nation. Yeah. Um, and that really, even though Napa is relatively small in terms of production, it's the icon that people think of when they think of not just California wine, but new wine, new world wine in general. And um, for someone that is very partial to old world high acid wines, I think that's pretty awesome. Well, it's, it's awesome. And, and as you said, you quote Thomas Jefferson, who is obviously a figurehead we love in France because he brought wine, as we all know. And the friendship with Lafayette was very tight. Remember as well, he said, we will be one country when we stretch from one ocean to the other. And as California came in and the French in 1804 sold 
Louisiana and the whole Midwest corridor to really help America become America. So I think as well, the collaboration that Adam and yourself touched on earlier of a Franco-American vision of why both for me and for French people in general, we feel very close to you in America. My daughters are purely Franco-American because my wife is from California and America. And I feel together, together, and I see it as for us with wineries, we have an amazing team. We create incredible wine because we, we come from both sides of the world and we collaborate. And it's not the, the French teaching the American, it's reverse as well. And it's us together working towards ultimate quality, towards what you touched on earlier. You know, not overly ripe wine, not overly alcoholic wine, wine with great acidity and minerality, wine with great balance, wine with great personality and identity, wine with that earth tone that makes you want to eat the soil and leak, leak the calcareous stones. And that's what it's all about. And I feel we need today to continue to focus on crafting vibrational wine. Wine that makes us uh, have our nipple gets hard. And wine that makes our tongue wanted to give a French kiss to everybody around us. And I feel that's essential because, you know, making average wine that tastes like you know, fruit juice and that it's consistent over time is fine, but it's not what personality is. Personality oscillates throughout time. And we, we want to make wine with an identity that is second to none. And, you know, why I'm so proud of California, why I'm so excited. I mean, we could talk about Bougeot, we could talk about Bonnemar, Musigny, Chassagne, Puligny, Montrachet, Batard Montrachet. We, we own them all. But we, in association with California and what has been done, I was with Lisa Perotti at the Wine Advocate for, who's been there for 13 years. She's starting her own project now that we'll see it's gonna be announced on Monday. She was on my JCB Live three days ago. We talked about Chardonnay for one hour. And she is the one who talked about how great Napa and, Ch and Sonoma Chardonnay are. And she is, like we are, big wine snobs and, and very, very, very dear to a style of wine of Chablis and Grand Cru Chablis and, and Top and Côte de Bone. And, and, but at the same time, she acknowledges the progress we've made here and the direction we're in and what this valley and what California is becoming. So I think we need to embrace, we need to help build, we need to continue to create like you both are doing. You have a great podcast, which engages a lot of people online and you have fabulous personality to make it fun and entertaining and inviting. And this is why people enjoy more wine thanks to you. So all of us are here to bring more of us into the world of wine in a fun way and in a bicultural way. I think that's very important.
Yeah. Well, now my nipples are hard from you saying those nice words <laughs> about us. <laughs> well, I, I hope I hope you can get other things hard at some stage in the weekend. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, that's. I've been wanting to make a nipple reference for uh, for such a long time, and it's appropriate <laughs> that someone from Bujo is able to, to break that barrier for us. <laughs> <laughs> hey, remember, I was raised with a monk, so Vougeot, the Clos Vougeot, as we talk about the mission of California from the 1800s or the 1700s, we could talk about the monks of Vougeot because for five centuries, they were living in the chateau and it was really, as you all know, the absolute phenomenal um, home of the Cistercian monks. And I almost became a monk because I said, if they're drinking the Kool-Aid, I want to drink it too. But I realized, you know, I did not look too good in a dress. So, and I didn't want to spend my life in a monastery. So uh, I thought it was maybe better to focus on winemaking and being part of it. That <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, I bet you got the legs for a dress. Um, uh, yeah, because you do specifically, you do kickboxing, right? Um, I, actually, I do, and uh, Manny, you know, when my when my legs are the best is when I do uh, three weeks of pijage uh, in in September, October, because we're very true to Pinot Noir winemaking. We have open top wood for manners, and at Buena Vista, as well as at Deloach and and all our Burgundy wineries, and we actually shave our legs. And we get into the tanks and we do physical pijage. And my wife tells me, Jean-Charles, you have the softest leg ever. Only one time a year. So they get touched by her only once a year. Can you believe <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Hopefully she hears us and uh, maybe we could change that. <laughs> so... Um, so I want to I want to talk briefly about you talked about the Cistercian monks and I would love yep. to talk about the the um, Domaine de la Bergeret, which to me are some of the coolest wines and uh, I don't want to steal Adam's thunder talking about the uh, Vujo Premier uh, Cru Blanc, which yeah. I know is right next to the Grand Cru. What I think is so cool about that wine is I can go to the geekiest wine person in Boston who thinks they know everything about wine, which none of us know everything about wine, we're always learning, um, and tell them that the wine is a blend and they just rarely believe me. Hmm. So what was, what was the, the idea, because it's a relatively new winery, correct, or domain, what was the idea behind um, uh, Domaine de Bergeret? Uh, yeah, so, you know, my parents started the winery in 1961. In 64, they bought their first vineyard, Gevray-Chambertin, Les Evocelles, where they actually kissed one another when they were seven years old. So it's a beautiful love story. They acquired some vineyards over time, and my sister and I really pushed uh, strategically this vineyard acquisition throughout Côte de Nuit, Côte de Beaune. So in 1998, we end up with over 40 hectares of amazing vineyard. And we said, it's time to bring all of them together. So we created the, the unfathomable, which never happens in Burgundy to create a new estate. 
So we named it the name of the house we were born into, which was Vujere. That's my parents' home in Vujo, which is next to mine. And it's been called Vujere as a house since the 16th century. So we said, in honor of our parents started the business, let's call it the name of their house. So it became Domaine de la Vougere. Luckily, Vujo as well is in the name where we have a lot of holdings. Claude de Vougeot Blanc. We have Vougeot Claude du Prieuré. We have Vougeot Lécras. We have Claude Vougeot. We have the Musigny on top. We have the Bonnemar you look closely at. You have Chambol Musigny Vineyards. I mean, we own a lot in Vougeot. We're the largest owner of vineyards in Vougeot, naturally, now. So then uh, we created the estate under the principle of organic and biodynamic farming. So the estate is not only organically certified in the vineyards, but in the winery as well. So that's why it makes very radiant, uh, uh, extremely telluric and cosmic wine with enormous personality and incredible, incredible pedigree. And then we, we were obviously very, very lucky, and you touched on it, Manny, to be able to buy the monopole, the Claude de Vougeot Blanc. Monopole means we're the only one who own it. It's six and a half acres. It's roughly 10,000 bottles produced. And it's really a Chardonnay with, as you said, a blend with a little bit of Pinot Blanc and Pinot Gris. So how did that happen? We follow in Burgundy a very strict way of planting our vineyards, which is called Massal selection in opposition to clonal selection. So it's observing the plant like a rose in your garden. And you say, okay, I'm going to isolate that bud. I like it. And I'm going to reproduce it. So it's called massal selection. So the monks did it. We continued it. So a portion of the caliodoscope of the grapes on that estate is a little Pinot Blanc and a touch of Pinot Gris, which used to be the case because the vineyard was planted in 1110. Remember, Chardonnay is traced officially back into the 14th century. So it migrated into what it is today. So there's a lot of uncertainty as far as the exact date of Chardonnay as such, coming from the same DNA as Pinot, from the same plant and tree. So this is why, you know, we call it almost 100% Chardonnay because we absolutely know if you do a nuclear resonance analysis of the vine that there's a little bit of Pinot Gris, Pinot Blanc within the blend, which makes it so unique. But it's part of the integrity of the estate. It's part of the integrity of the plot. And it's part of history. So it's being kept as such. That's, that's awesome. You mentioned before, we were going to bring this up. because We were actually really curious to get your take on this. How uh, the organic certification, and we know you're really into biodynamic farming as well. Which, yep. without going into the entire process, because that would take us all afternoon. Um, it's not a, it's not a simple process. It's difficult, especially when you're in a place where there are people farming next to you, and you have to yep. be, you know, cognizant of the methods they're using if it leads into your vineyard and so on. Why the dedication to organics and biodynamics? What do you think it does differently? What does it bring that makes you so dedicated to it? Well, uh, phenomenal question in many ways. So there's, I'm going to answer it into three parts. One, I got very lucky, Adam, to 
be born with my grandparents next door, school teachers, very close to nature, all about organic in their life and biodynamic in the garden, which means composting, following the lunar calendar and literally treating nature with nature and not even having synthetic products in your body. My grandmother ate plants all her life. So she, she, she passed at 104 and she had never modern synthetic you know, medication. Wow. Same as my grandfather. So I was taught all those principles very early on. As we created the estate, we said, we know preventing in the vineyard is better than curing. When you cure, it's too late. You already have the disease. So if you prevent, how do you prevent? You build an ecosystem. How do you build an ecosystem? You strengthen the ecosystem with the plants, the insect, and the compost and the animals that lives around it. And to do that, you listen to Mother Nature. So the definition of biodynamic farming is to listen and work in synergy with the biorhythm of the earth, the sun, and the moon, and respect their interaction. So we all know we guided by the sun, the solar calendar, or the lunar calendar. The Chinese still live by it. It's called Chinese New Year's. It's in February. And this is the true rhythm of nature. So we follow the moon and the sun to do anything in the vineyards. That's biodynamic farming. We don't use synthetic products. It's all organic. And on top of it, we use that cycle to guide us into infusing the vineyards with a plant that surround the vineyards. So again, simple definition, biorhythm of mother nature, follow the lunar calendar and treat the vineyard with the plant that surround the vineyard like dandelion, chamomile, yarrow. <clears throat> and we do a prep, which is a concoction, very similar to a tea preparation. And we spray seven times in the vineyard at seven times in the year. And that basically strengthen the DNA and the fabric and the ecosystem of that vineyard makes it not only great, but at the same time, very resistant to any potential issue that could come and attack the vineyard. So what did we achieve, Adam, as a conclusion to your question? A better vineyard, more with a greater self-defense mechanism, pure wine, a powerful rootstock, a plant that is defended by other plants in the ecosystem, and therefore less illness, and a true wine where the fruit that Manny was referring to, great fruit of California or France, is the poor expression in the glass. We don't have synthetic products. We don't have stupid pesticides. We don't have crappy solution that mankind could have created to help us. <clears throat> and therefore you have a wine that you know what is inside the glass. So all in, I think there's no other way to do it. We established Raymond, <clears throat> over 350 acres of organic and biodynamic estate certified, the largest in Napa Valley, Deloach and Buena Vista, same thing. So we just got the award basically of, oh, thank you, you you're having the Raymond. We just got the Napa Green top award a few weeks ago because we are the key leader 
I need to tell you in Napa Valley now in Sonoma on organic and biodynamic farming. So better wine, longer lasting wine, and it allows us finally in winemaking not to have to acidify, very big deal, not to have to filter the wine because it's very pure and delicate as such, and not to have to filter into all kinds of modern techniques that would change the wine quality. So all in, it's a hundred percent better. And you know, when you think about it, Romane Conti, DRC is organic and biodynamic. Le Roi is, Ramonet is, Le Fleve is. All of us on the top end of the game are, because there's no other way to do it than to be respectful of mother nature. That's, that's amazing. So, awesome. you know, I, I love that, that idea. And it's so funny that, cause I know that I've read about Rudolf Steiner and, you know, he was kind of drawing off his grandparents and how they lived, how they farmed, um, you know, during the industrial revolution or before the industrial revolution. And people don't realize that when it comes to pesticides and herbicides, a lot of that was leftover, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like chemicals used during warfare that we had left over and they watered it down to put on plants, you know? So the, the things that we used during, as an act of war, we modified to put on, on plants for us to consume. And it's, it's kind of mind blowing that it's taken us so long to realize this. And I, I say this all the time, I've never had a bad biodynamic wine ever. I've had some that aren't necessarily my style or, you know, yeah. but I can appreciate the, 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 what the wine is, how it is uh, produced. And, um, you know, I always find that just absolutely beautiful. I agree. I agree. And I think being true to this world is essential. And for both of you to talk about it today from Boston and, to you know convey to the world is a blessing because i really believe to live by the saying tell me what you eat tell me what you drink and i'll tell you who you are bria savarin said that in the late 1800s and i think it's very important we need to be very serious about what we intake and how we farm how we make products at large and you know, for, for all of us, we have an enormous responsibility in winemaking, an enormous responsibility to, to be granted land, you know, from our planet that is so scarce today for 9 billion of us. Therefore, if we do our farming, we got to farm responsibly. We got to farm with respect. We got to farm with integrity and we got to farm the right way. So I'm an enormous leader and passionate of that philosophy very similar to winemaking endogenous yeast why always adding yeast that are going to give a flavor because you're looking for making a orange juice or a grapefruit juice i mean the world of wine is a natural extension of the plot of the land full stop don't try to deviate it and don't try to make something else that it's not meant to be. If it's not meant to make great wines, don't make great wines, but don't try to create 
a human constructed lab solution in an area that is not meant to make great wine. So we got to be true. You know, for me, I debated in life, what did I want to do? Do I really want to make wine? Do I want to make my life part of the wine world, which is now the most lucrative, which is very intense, which is very difficult and very competitive. And I said, you know, I don't favor monetary reward. I favor building a great world and living a great lifestyle and being able to meet great people and have fun and enjoy life through what mother nature has to offer. And that was my principle of life, you know, and that's why I'm in the wine world. But if you are in the wine world or want to get into it, be true to the principle, Manny and Adam, you just talked about and you're just defending. Because why do you like those great wines? Because a lot of the winemakers you know that you friend with are true. They're honest with Mother Nature and work with her. That's amazing. And so I think this is, we want to, I mean, we could have you here all day, Jean-Charles. We don't want to do that. So I'm going to, switch gears really quickly because I, I do what you just said I do I want to hang out with Charles I know I do too wine. but when he gets to where he's going to drink some wine with look, him we, we, and we need to drink too, wine but come exactly on. but I think this is a good <laughs> time to to connect because you have a really interesting partnership with with John Legend in yep. in a label called LVE so I I can't see you partnering up with someone who does not share this vision so if you could touch on those wines that partnership how it came to be. I think that'd be a cool story to, to hear. Absolutely. Thank you. So we became friends in the red room at Raymond, the wine you were just having, Adam, in the velvet room. And we became friends, really. And uh, we had a blast. And he says, let's, um, let, I showed him the blending room. He made wine, loved it. And then he calls me and says, I want to make wine. So we, we, we said no at first. And then we became closer friends. And then when you bring Chrissy Teigen in the room, it really helps to make a story very convincing. <laughs> and we love this style. So we started a winery together in Napa Valley at the extension of Raymond. Cab, Red Blend, and a fabulous Chardonnay got amazing rankings. And then he said, I love Rosé. I want to make sparkling wine and I love the Central Pay region. I love the Provence region. Jean-Charles, let's use your vineyards down there to make wine. So we did. So it became an amazing partnership and uh, it's a pure joint venture. We co-own the brand, we're building it together. Um, you know, we have a fabulous partner in the Northeast, Horizon, as you know, doing a bang job. And we are really building music and wine together where harmony of the music comes with the harmony of the wine. We make the wine together. John comes here all the time. We, we have a great, great time. He's a big philanthropist, so we've raised a lot of money for the wine country as well. It's been a huge success. And, um, you know, we support a lot as well. African-American Association of Vintners, um, Wine Unify, and therefore we're doing a lot of things as well for others. So I'm a big fan of LVE. Great wine. It means legend, vineyard exclusive. And it's, again, Napa Cab, Napa Red Blend, Napa Chardonnay, a Provence Rosé, which is stellar, a sparkling wine from the south of France, as well as a wine in a can called La Vie for all the concerts uh, that he's doing so we can enjoy wine in the concert halls. 
If if you ever need someone to play the congas or the bongos, the congas. I see it. I, I should know that I'm a musician. If, if you ever need someone to play the, the congas, uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'll I get love on the plane, it. and then we'll have a jam. You know. Hey Manny, it, we always need you, and bring them when you come over, so we can have a great time. We have piano in every single room at the winery. And uh, you could bring your violin. You could bring your 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 fabulous drums here, and uh, we'll have a we'll have a great time. Well, it's, I, I, can, just, I can drink rosé while you guys are playing instruments. I'd be more than happy to drink the rosé. All I got from that, John Charles, no offense, is that John Legend loves rosé, and I love rosé. So therefore, John Legend and I should be best friends. That's all I absolutely. Took and yeah. and we look forward uh, to coordinate when you come as well because he, he visits us uh, on a regular basis. You know, he lives in LA most of the time, not as much in New York anymore. So uh, we get to see him a lot. We get to have a great time and uh, we, we get to bring great energy. We've done many, many concerts at Raymond, obviously pre-COVID and we've done many online. So we're looking to doing more. So uh, absolutely come and join us. Awesome. Well, that, that kind of leads me to, to a, a a question when can we come no um actually <laughs> this weekend just go to the airport and uh, we'll wait for you so I, I i'm curious you know you had your first experience with the wines of buena vista when you were 10 and a yeah. half and um since you've kind of you know taken the direction of the winery or what do you think of the wines today versus our California today versus, you know, 40, 50 years ago, 30 years ago, or 20 years ago when, when you first started drinking the wines. I'm um, bullish so. because um, Buena Vista has become Sonoma Coast, Carneros, and Napa Valley. So really what it used to be in the 1860s. So we brought it back exactly to where it is. I feel the region of both Sonoma and Napa have become masters of winemaking, understanding the rhythm of nature better, when to harvest, and how to treat your vineyards with less is better, to um, harvesting less ripe uh, vineyards, therefore less alcohol level, because I'm very sensitive to too high alcohol wine. I think you said it at the beginning of the show, you want to make wines of great significant places with with personality and style and elegance and finesse and vibration and i think we're really moving into this in california everybody has moved up so well i feel our winemaking team with brian maloney and stephanie putnam and thane nutson is amazing they've been with us each and every one of them for 20 or 15 years so there's continuity which is essential in winemaking it's like a chef gets judged at every plate he serves. We get judged at every vintage we serve. And it's throughout time that we get judged. So I think all in, progress is amazing. Wine have better personality, have a greater sense of place. And there's more to do. And there's more knowledge to have. But now we know what grows well where. So it's our responsibility to make it phenomenal every time. So I have a, uh, I have a question. I'm going to ask you something, uh, not between your your literal children, but I'm going to ask you to pick your favorite child right now. Of all yeah. the wines that you have in throughout, you know, France, America, and so on, if you have to pick one, mm. 
What are you drinking? Well, I, I'm going to pick one. I'm going to pick the Buena Vista Napa Valley Cab. Why? It's not our most expensive. You thought I would have said Musini. I would have said Montrachet. I would have said... But why would I pick that? It's a $55 bottle of cab. That is the most powerful, balanced, uh, long-lasting emotion in the glass and in your mouth that brings America to the world, that shows to the world what America could do at a reasonable price. 50 bucks for an Napa cab is reasonable and is an amazing, gorgeous bottle of wine that speaks about the history of the United States, speak about the history of California and Napa Valley and the wine country and shows us that everything is possible and shows us that if you want to do it, you could do it. So that would be my bottle of wine today. That's awesome. Uh, not that you asked, but I'm going to take it away. Mine would be JCB69 because that Woo! wine is gorgeous. I, I'm a bubbles nut, Jean Charles. And if, if, if it's rosé, I love it. If it's sparkling, I love it. If it's sparkling and rosé, I'm, I'm there for life, for all intents and purposes. Well, thank and, you, Adam. I, I, I love your idea, and you could do a bubble bath with it. <laughs> and it I think he very has. very cool as well. <laughs> It's in, that's that's a that different wearing That pink shirt he's wearing was white before uh, before the show. <laughs> what about you, Manny? What's your last bottle? That's a great question. So, I mean, it depends on my mood. But, you know, the wines that I've been most excited about, honestly, are some of the wines from, from your wines from the Jura. Um, oh, thank you. Wow. The Trousseau is phenomenal um and the trousseau reminds me when i first started getting into wine like really getting into wine was around 20 years ago burgundy you know went through much cooler vintages we didn't have or we didn't talk about climate change it maybe didn't affect burgundy as much as it does now but there's an earthy funky aromatic to that wine that reminds yeah. me of burgundy and when I started drinking wine, like really getting into wine in the early 2000s, I was finding Burgundy from the mid 80s to the to the early 90s um, from cooler vintages, but they were aging well and they were high acid, high tone, that wine every single day. But I've kind of been converted because the Buena Vista, um, the Chateau Buena Vista Carneros is beautiful. Exactly. Well, I love, I love your, um, your direction, your trailblazer, because it's been an amazing region for many centuries, but now soon rediscovered, and it's still very, very slow. The wines are great, and I'm so glad, Manny, you said that, because when you drink a Chateau Chalon, when you drink a phenomenal, you know... Uh, <laughs> Uh, seven-year Vale wine. I mean, in Clavelin, it's amazing. So thank you for saying that. Wow, good call. I, I, I planned that. I wrote that down earlier. So I want to impress everybody. With well, that. you got me impressed. Yeah, baby. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, I know we have to, we do have to kind of wrap up, but um, this has been really amazing. And Adam and I, at the end of each episode, we always kind of talk about what our next podcast will be because we like to link things. Or maybe sure. I like to link things and I force this on Adam um, as my one thing. But Adam and I were, this talking, is true. We were talking earlier 
that what we're going to do for our next podcast for obviously you're more than welcome to, to be there if you'd like john charles but um as it's been a, such a pleasure to to hang out with you uh um, thank you we're we to do a little comparison between burgundy and california so we'll do some some buena vista and some the only thing we have in stock right now for white from domain delivery is the uh, monopole Wow, <laughs> good for you. A, we just have a couple, struggle. like a case left. So maybe we'll do some of that. I don't know if we can, if I can sneak that one by, but uh, <laughs> but maybe we'll do some some Merceau from from uh, Bouchard. Or, um, yeah, the Merceau Bouchard is is really actually tasting so well. But what about you? Do both? Be, live well, so, excessively. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna. I, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna have. Uh, Brittany, build that out for us. <laughs> Manny, you just got the okay from the from Jean Charles himself. Exactly. Just it back for her. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I had a great fun, guys. Thank you so much. I cannot wait to see you soon in Napa, Burgundy, Sonoma, Boston, uh, Jura, wherever you want. And uh, let's get together again on the podcast. Let's do it. And at the end of the day, you know, we were saying earlier that, that we're, we're partial to old world wines. All we need was love. And I'll be very honest. For me, the challenge of California is that I don't, I don't always understand it. People say France is hard. Italy is hard. But when you understand the basics of it, they make, they're, they're very easy to understand. California has always exactly. been a challenge for me. And so, you know, the fact that um, you produce such beautiful wines that have a sense of place, terroir, and identity, and are varietally specific to their home is, is quite beautiful. So, thank you so much, and happy new year, everyone. Have a great time, and we'll see each other the soonest. All the best, happy new year! Happy new year, thank, thank you, Charles. My pleasure, ciao, ciao. Did you come on every week? Dude, that was so much fun. That <laughs> was so much fun. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time.
Love is all you need. Love is all you need. Love is all you need. 